weekly weights with Bert and Hayes. We lift the weights and go on dates. And we are mates that educate and conversate. And it's our podcast. Weekly weights with Alex and Will. So welcome to episode 36 of Weekly Weights. We're here with a very special guest via Zoom, which is the first time we've used this. Yeah, it took yeah. a while yeah, to get us on here. It's a bit of a nightmare to get to where we are, but we're here. And we're here with uh, John Sheridan from Burley Strength. So hey, John is John is uh, a, obviously a gym owner. He's a powerlifting coach, a former powerlifter, and he's actually taking some time away from powerlifting at the moment. So do you want to just give us a rundown on who you are, what you stand for, and what you're doing now. Well, actually, sorry, before you even do that, we should mention that John also is a co-host of a slightly inferior Australia power, Australian powerlifting podcast. And he's the even further inferior secondary member to get on this podcast. Yeah, that's true. So himself and Thomas Lilly are the hosts of Peak Speak. Um, they chat about all things powerlifting. Their podcast is really fantastic. I've listened to one episode but i'm intending to listen to many more um no they chat about all things powerlifting it's a really great podcast it's getting a lot of rave reviews from all over the world so he's also a host of that now you can tell us more about yourself yeah if you if you listen to ours you probably already listened to theirs so probably didn't even need to tell you that yeah (laughs) um firstly thank you for having me uh so yeah my name is john sheridan i own a a powerlifting gym or strength training gym in in canberra called burley strength and I've owned that now for this is the end of our third year. Um, for a couple of years before that, it was PTC Canberra, and I ran the gym for someone else. Uh, we parted ways, and Burley Strength became my thing. Um, as Alex said, uh, I probably best define my powerlifting as a former competitive powerlifter. I started competing in two. I did my first comp in two thousand and ten. Uh, yeah, I like a little local, uh, sort of gym mate, uh, and was essentially hooked from there. Uh, the real sort of takeoff for my powerlifting career was when I broke my hand playing rugby. Uh, I, I may have punched someone in the face, um, and broke my hand. And so that was the end of my, uh, I said to myself, I'll take like six months off footy and let my hand heal and train for powerlifting and then i discovered that powerlifting is way more enjoyable than rugby because it doesn't involve any running um and yeah, you get penalized for moving exactly um exactly so uh i, I found my new sport and and pursued that pretty heavily um, kindly to... kindly were you a prop how did you guess that Will yeah, used to be a prop too. Yeah, I also you wouldn't guess it though. Yeah, no. the difference is I didn't I didn't get skinny. I got fat after I stopped playing footy, so I'm way bigger now than I ever was then. Yeah, but I, oh, I played three positions in my life: number one, two, and three. So in ten, I years played ago, uh, I left the front row. I played 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and nothing under nine. Yeah, perfect. Did you try and hit the halfback? Was that who you no, punched? It was a big second rower. In my defense, he threw the first punch. I just threw a really bad punch and um, yeah. copped him in the side of the head and broke the first knuckle in my right hand. Um, so that was a fun time. But yeah, so I, I did that. Right. And, uh, and from there, started training more regularly for powerlifting. Um, I got pretty heavily into equipped lifting. Uh, I sort of discovered powerlifting on the internet uh, through things like Westside and, and a lot of 
stuff through elite FTS. Um, and so I got pretty heavily into the idea of multiplier lifting, um, which is sort of how I ended up with Capo and, and GPC. And, um, yeah, my goal was always to squat a thousand pounds. I, uh, attempted it a few times. At one point I was, I had the biggest miss in Australian powerlifting history, which was a fun time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I squatted four ten. Uh, bench 210 pulled 260 I think in that mate so I totaled 880 was my best equipped total uh, I've since totaled 660 I think in sleeves uh, both were in the 140 class um, but I, I really haven't been actively pursuing powerlifting as my main sport since really 2015 um, I think that was the year I, I sort of realised I'm a better coach than I ever was an athlete. Um, I'm probably better at telling people to do things than I am at doing them myself. Um, and so <laughs> that has sort of led me to a position where I'm still a powerlifting coach. I'm still involved in powerlifting and I still, uh, I still enjoy lifting and training and stuff like that, but it's not my main focus in training anymore. I've spent the last, year and a bit maybe nearly a year and a half uh climbing fake rocks um doing bouldering which is essentially like indoor rock climbing without ropes on big padded floors um and yeah that's been my main focus lately um but yeah I think funny, funny you say you are total 660 in sleeves exactly what will did last weekend and i'm really hoping that that was his last competition too <laughs> yeah, negative pb by me i think i'm on the way out as well i'll be bouldering with you within a couple of weeks i reckon sweet man you've probably got a reach advantage that i have a distinct lack of when it comes to bouldering um being a under six foot 140 kilo man does not uh does not make climbing fake rocks very easy <laughs> um so we've kind of dovetailed already into the topic that you suggested for today, which I thought was a really good one. And it was, um, it was this idea of sort of identity and powerlifting and why it's important to have interests outside of the sport as well. And, you know, you're speaking as somebody who's chosen to step away from the sport as a competitor. So, and I thought this would be quite philosophical when Alex told me what your idea was. So do you want to just tell us quickly what you think, I guess, identity means for, for lifters and coaches and then why why in your words having that sort of diversity of character is important yeah so this is something that i've talked about with a few different people um it's a conversation i have pretty regularly with a lot of the people that i coach um i to backtrack slightly uh i got into studying exercise science i've got half an exercise physiology degree um but we decided having a baby was more important than me um studying and running a gym at the same time so i put that on hold for a bit but the, i got into that because i wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach my intention was to like work for the brumbies or like do something involved in playing rugby and uh also you know coaching and things like that and it was um someone pointed out to me once that the problem with professional snc is that you end up in a room with let's say 30 dudes and maybe five or six of them really love lifting and training in quite the same way that I do. Uh, the rest are there because it's their job. And I thought, uh, I, I did a lot of thinking about that. And that was when I sort of realized actually my goal is to be able to own a gym and coach people that want to be coached rather than people that are there for work essentially. So 
that's that's sort of where the gym thing came from and since then the discussion i've continued to have with a lot of people and i think it's mostly because i've made this mistake myself is that like it's just powerlifting like as much as a lot of people put a lot of importance on it and obviously my entire living has come through powerlifting and strength training for the last five years i've been doing this full time um it's a huge part of my life and who i am uh but it's not everything and I think I made the mistake of getting to a point where it was everything. Like it was the only thing that I that I did. It was the thing that I spent most of my time doing. It was the sort of thing where I said no to other things because of training or competitions or things like that. And at the time, that was the, the decision I was going to make because that's part of who I was or who I identified as at that point. But since then, I wouldn't say I regret those decisions now, but I have a much more open view on like what it means to be a powerlifter or or what what you get out of defining yourself as a powerlifter. Like I think um, I don't know if you guys know uh, Matt Vincent from Hate Brand Goods. Uh, he's a Highland Games world champion, and uh, he has said it a few times in different interviews. Uh, but words to the effect of if your total's going on your tombstone, then we probably don't have a lot in common. And for me, I think that as an idea is really interesting because especially in a land of social media lifters and you know, Instagram influencers and all that sort of stuff, there's a lot of people who, and maybe this is only from an external view because obviously you only ever get to see the highlights and the things that people choose to put on social media, but there's a lot of people who like live and die by their training and their comp results and stuff like that. Now, if that's who you are as a person and your personality, that's cool. I'm not going to judge you for it, but it's certainly not for me. And I think it's something that some people feel like they get forced, maybe not get forced into, but it's something that seems to be the norm or becoming the norm. Like people get into powerlifting and they're like, fuck yeah, this is great. And powerlifting's amazing and I love it and will continue to love it for a long time. But there's been so many people who've flashed in the pan for two or three years and then you never hear of them again. And I think the mark of a true champion when it comes to a sport like powerlifting is someone who's around for decades. You know, this is a sport of months, years and decades, not days, weeks and months. And having more to your personality than just what you lift, I think is an important part of that longevity piece. So um, again, when Alex told me this idea, I thought probably one of the best ways to have the discussion would be to frame the potential positives because there are probably some with being obsessed, particularly if you want to be really good. Potential positives um, with being basically powerlifting obsessed and just a powerlifting robot. And then what are the drawbacks? And then maybe by the end of this podcast, we can have an idea of what like a happy medium mindset and approach to lifting would be like. So yeah. I guess let's start. This is asking you, somebody who, who has been a very elite lifter. What do you I think? I would say that. I'd say very mediocre, but. Well, I mean, you elite, missed some very impressive squats. Elite squatter at least. Yeah. yeah I, was, so, I was great at squatting. Everything else was just like, ah, oh, fuck. All right. I'll do it because I have to. Sure. Well, I mean, you've squatted more than Alex and I have squatted. You so. should have. Um, you should have started I was running. A suit cheating. Should have, should have done squat only meets. Should have started oh, so hosting. JPC introduced that a year or two ago, yeah. uh, and Does I haven't run exist? one yet. But I know um, Fuzzy from 
uh, Fuzzy's power gym in Adelaide. He ran a, an unsanctioned squat deadlift meet, which is my kind of meet. Like I'm all about yes. that. Yeah, yeah, I'd be right good. around that. I like that. Yeah, um, bench is the worst. I've never understood people who enjoy bench press. What I find funny is you say the suit's cheating and Brett Gibbs, when we interviewed him, when we asked him, you know, what's it like lifting equipped, we were expecting him to sort of say something about, you know, how techniques are different and stuff. And this is just the definition of world-class talent. He was just like, oh man, you, you just sling it on, bro, and then you lift more. <laughs> and we were like, oh, I guess so. That's how it works. He's like, yeah. And he also said to JP at one stage, shortly after benching, I think what would have been a world record, um, JP was like, don't you find that when you misgroup a bench, it's really terrible? And Brett said, there's no such thing as a bench groove. You just take it down and push. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, that, that, my friends, is the definition of an elite athlete. Who just, oh, just, what do you mean you don't understand how to do that? Just do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So let's, let's presume that you had actually been an elite lifter. Um, tell us, <laughs> I'm okay with that. Tell us, tell us what advantages. Um, you know, for you or an elite athlete, that would be with being just powerlifting obsessed. Man, I think that it's not, or it's something that doesn't just apply to powerlifting, right? This is something that applies to any aspect of life that you want to be really good at. There's always going to be, uh, at least to a certain extent, a correlation between the amount of focus and work you put into whatever it is you're pursuing and the outcomes of said work. So, the pro is going to be that you spend more time training, you spend more time recovering, you spend more time getting your nutrition sorted, like all of these things that that's what it takes to be an elite level lifter, right? And there are some people uh, who don't have to do all of that to get to an elite level. Um, but for the average person, you're going to find that the more work you put in, the more time you spend in the gym, the better your results are going to be, at least if you're doing things smartly. If you're just turning up to the gym and being an idiot, then you're probably not going to get more out of doing more. But that, I think that's the, the big sort of overarching pro is that you just get better at the sport. The more time you spend in it, the more time you spend learning about it, the more time and effort you put into to doing it, the better you're going to be. Um, and, you know, in some cases, like a very, very finite percentage of cases there's an argument that the more work and effort you put in the more money you're going to make um but for anyone who's listening to either of our podcast podcasts i don't think that's actually going to have any impact upon your long-term financial success because if you're listening to our podcasts you're probably not a professional powerlifter no likely um shout out to milana chef who's <laughs> listening so something um this is, this is probably a neutral point, but it's one I wrote down. Um, so you, when you were doing your exercise science degree, we probably did some stuff on like motor learning um, as well. And there's the, the concept of um, deliberate practice. So if you, people have always heard about the 10,000 hour rule where like, you know, you have to invest yeah, 10,000 hours in a task to become an expert at it. And I'm not really sure how, how much support that has. But when people talk about um, long-term engagement and what it takes to become an expert, they talk about deliberate practice. So that's very mindful execution of tasks that are you know, done at a challenging level and designed to extend you. So when you, when you look at virtuoso musicians, they spend you know, 10 hours a day doing music practice that is deliberate and engaging and difficult. They don't just jam out for 10 hours because jamming out is not an extension of themselves. 
and then they have to you know sleep and hopefully like form some new connections in their head and they get a little bit better but they do that over and over and over again and that's what makes them really good powerlifting because you can only really train so much to actually get as good as you can be because nobody can train for powerlifting 50 hours a week right because you just can't do enough work that's heavy enough to matter for 50 hours there's actually a cap on how much time you can spend in the gym even if you make it maximally effortful and productive and so i think there's probably something to be said for approaching your training really seriously and mindfully if you want to get really good but not confusing that necessarily with thinking that you can just cram more into less time to get good it's you actually have to just do it over a long time and wait does that make sense yeah, man. And that's, I think, a, a really excellent point that I spend a lot of time talking to everyone about. Um, I finished listening. I just pulled it up on my phone. Uh, I finished listening to a book by Cal Newport called Deep Work, uh, Rules for Focused Success. I think it's in a distracted world. Yeah. Um, and it essentially is a whole book about that concept of deep practice or, or focused practice where the, there is that definition between just turning up and doing it and actually practicing it properly and understanding that I um, spend a lot of time talking to people about the difference between mindless exercise and mindful exercise. Mindless exercise is really easy. You can go and you know, do sprints and not have to think about anything and you might feel better for it. But for me, the, and I think it was what drew me to equip lifting early on uh, was the mind, the forced mindfulness that comes from, something where the margin for error is so small. So being able to just not think about anything else other than exactly what I'm doing right now, which is just an extension of the idea of meditation, right? Where it's about being present in the moment and being aware of your senses and how you're moving and things like that. So that's something I try and talk to all my lifters about is just that concept of, you know, don't just come in here, turn your brain off and trash yourself. This is about practice, regardless of whether you're planning to be an elite level lifter or you're just someone who likes lifting on the weekends and, and you know, being a little bit fitter and stronger. I think that that process of deep work is really important because I think that's how you're going to get the most bang for your buck, right? Maybe you're a, a full-time working person who you know, works 40 hours a week and has kids and does all that sort of stuff. If you've only got three hours to spend in the gym a week and two and a half of those hours are you just mindlessly trashing yourself into the ground, it's not going to be really productive. Um, so I think that, like you said, it's, it's probably a neutral point. There's certainly a, a diminishing returns point where you've done so much training that there's not a lot of training to be done anymore. Um, but yeah, I think the, the deep work practice is important uh, regardless of how, how strong or how strong, how strong you are or how strong you want to be. Um, because I think it's something that applies to everyone. Yeah, I think it's important to know the difference between like when to switch on and when to switch off as well. Because, you know, you can be at training resting because most of training is resting in powerlifting. That's the best and part. You can, and, and you can entirely switch off. But when it's time to train, as soon as, you, as soon as your hands get on the bar, that's when you need to switch on. I think yep. you can save a lot of, I think you can save a lot of mental stress from actually switching off in between sets as well. Yeah, man, I think that was one of the biggest mistakes I made in my first three or four years of powerlifting um, was being the guy that walks around at a powerlifting meet fucking banging out to heavy metal and slamming caffeine all day. I'd get to deadlifts and I'd be yawning and exhausted and just have nothing left. And 
it's only through spending time with like really elite lifters. Um, I got to handle uh, Nathan Jones at GPA Worlds in 2014, was it? 2014, 2015, where like Milanichev was there, Chris Duffin was there, CWS was there. Like, yeah, you know, it was that who's who of powerlifting in the world at the time, uh, or at least the untested was side. There, actually, um, was Alex in, and I were there too. Was that in Homebush? Yeah. That was. 2014, I think. Yeah, no, I was, yeah. Somewhere around there. Yeah, anyway, the boys were there. I, yeah, we I, <laughs> I, um, I was backstage, so. Yeah, we, well, I went backstage and had a chat to Mike Israel actually, because I'd been to his yeah, seminar nice. a couple of weeks before. So, yeah, you know what? We were there, and I still haven't been tested. So, the who's who of untested powerlifters in Australia and, were there. And you didn't, you, didn't catch, uh, you didn't catch anything by osmosis? No, Mate, I wish I had because I'm still shit. If only, man. If only it worked like that. Um, yeah. I yeah, asked so, Dan Green for a photo and he said no. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Boo Dan Green. No. Was he competing asshole. at the time? Yes. 100% he was. He was about to go do his third deadlift. Yeah, well, that's a dick move on your behalf. <laughs> that was a joke, mate. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it was, it was actually, that meets one of the ones that sticks out at me where, so Nathan was going up for his, it was his second squat and some dude, like two people in front of him, just like absolutely ate shit, like missed the squat and the bar hit the floor and like he gashed his shin on a, um, on the front of the mono. And so there was this big delay and Nathan just stood there as calm as anything with his knees wrapped. Like, and I'd fucking done my best to break his knees with a pair of knee wraps. And he just stood there and was calm and relaxed the whole time. And as soon as he was ready to go, he flicked that switch and he was good to go. Right. And I think that's the, one of the biggest uh, things that I, I've seen across multiple really high level lifters is they all have that ability to flick the switch. And, and the ones that, in my experience at least, the ones that spend their whole day walking around like they're sucking on a lemon and like just being essentially assholes, for lack of a better term, uh, all fired up and stuff, I think they're the ones that end up making little mistakes that cost them big in the long run because you're just you're not able to hold that level of mental arousal the whole time and be able to perform at a high level while you're all jacked up for a whole fucking six hour powerlifting like mate even a fast yeah. powerlifting mate's still going to take you three or four hours so to be able to be jacked up the whole time be it in training or in competition is is really tiring so i think yeah. that skill of being able to flick the switches is really really important so more positives about being powerlifting obsessed if we can um, sure. so look, let's presume you do want to be one of the best in the world. And there are definitely people out there who get into powerlifting with the intention of being world champions, which I think is awesome. Oh, yeah, um, for, sure. for those people, I have my own thoughts, but obviously I want to hear yours for those people. How important do you think it is? How important do you think it is to be really obsessive and sort of, you know, do you think that obsessiveness is the difference between people who make it to the world level and don't or make it to the podium and don't? I don't know if I'd say it's, it's a definite must have. I think there's always going to be a trade off between, you know, your sole focus on one thing and then, uh, 
and then whatever else is happening in your life. But I think if you do want to make it to an elite level, you do have to be reasonably obsessed about it. It probably depends more on your genetics than it does on uh, anything else. Because if you're the sort of person that comes into a sport, <coughs> excuse me, like uh, powerlifting, really, really strong and just gets better and better and better, then maybe you don't have to be as obsessed. But I think if like a lot of, uh, I think a lot of the powerlifting population, your athletic genetics are mediocre at best. You're probably going to have to put a level of obsessiveness towards it at some point. Uh, but yeah, I, w- I wouldn't say it's essential. I think it, maybe it's the difference at some levels, but you know, like coming back to Nathan as an example, like, before Nathan blew his knees out, I think he was one of the best 110 kilo lifters in the country. Um, and he'd been doing this sport for like 15 years at that point. Uh, and he trained two or three days a week for 90 minutes and has two young kids and a family and a full-time job and stuff like that. So I think it can be done without a complete obsessiveness. You know, I have no life outside of this sort of approach. But ultimately, I think it's probably down more to your personality than it is about whether it's going to be more successful or less successful because of that. So, yeah, I think I think having a no-stern, left-unturned approach is probably the best way to guarantee you maximize your return on training. That kind of just makes sense intuitively. Yeah, but yeah, I also suspect that basically the people who end up the best in the world are a mixture of people who are talented and sufficiently dedicated, like you said. And there are some people who are just born unbelievable and get unbelievable. And it's really annoying when you are obsessed and you see them just getting better than you. But there are some people who are just going to be better than you no matter what. Yeah. Um, there are also some people who are grafters who probably get themselves to competitive but not podiuming at the world level just by work. But I do suspect that like I said, because there's just only so much powerlifting that you can do that past a point, the cap is really just how good can you get in the time that you have yep. and can you put in a little bit more time and get better, even if it's slower for long enough to get yourself there. Not so much just yeah, running at it willy nilly. Yeah. Man. Um, yeah. But what about the disadvantages then of being really obsessed with powerlifting? Um, yeah. And lacking other interests. What, why could it be bad? Because otherwise people would just say, well, why don't I just be obsessed and see how I go, you know? Yeah, for sure. Look, uh, I think there are, I can probably name a lot more reasons it'll be bad than reasons it'll be good. Um, The most obvious one I think is um, no one really cares about powerlifting um, outside of powerlifters. Like uh, I, I own a powerlifting gym and I run eight to 10 powerlifting meets a year. Uh, you know, I've competed for nearly 10 years. I've done all these sort of things and I fucking love the sport. But outside of the very, very small minority of powerlifters in the world, no one really gives a shit. Uh, and so I think the biggest downside is that you put a lot of effort, a lot of stress, a lot of money in some cases into a sport that is never going to pay the bills. Uh, it's never going to be even remotely close to a full source of income for most people, if not all people. Uh, And potentially, you know, you get five years down the track and you haven't made that much progress, but you've been really obsessed and you've lost a lot of friends and and relationships in the process. And you end up in this position where suddenly you have this sport that you know and love, but you don't have anything outside of that. 
and it becomes really precarious. So like at that point, if you get injured and your whole identity is based on you being a powerlifter and suddenly let's say, you know, you tear an ACL or something like that, where suddenly you can't squat or deadlift for a long time and bench is dumb. So you don't want to do any bench. Uh, I think you end up in a position where your identity is so wrapped up in something that you can't do anymore. You're likely to go through a pretty substantial personality crisis at that point. And I've seen people do it. Um, I think I was fortunate to skip it after playing footy for so long because I found powerlifting. Like I've always said to people, I'm a fairly competitive person. Um, and had I not had powerlifting when I broke my hand, I'd still be playing footy and I'd be way more physically broken because of it. But because I found that outlet and for me, powerlifting was never about winning medals, setting records, beating other people. I, I found a sport where my only yardstick was my own progress. Uh, and sure it was nice to win a couple of nationals and set some records and stuff like that. But it was never about that for me. So I feel like there's, there's probably an argument that I can't really speak about someone whose whole identity is powerlifting because it, it was about testing myself, not winning competitions and that sort of thing. So yeah, I think that's the biggest con is that you'll get to a point where you can't do it anymore and suddenly you don't know who you are. Uh, and there's only so much fucking powerlifting you can talk about in, in the scheme of things. Like I, I love lifting as much as the next guy, but it's a really repetitive and incredibly boring sport to watch. Um, so especially bench press, especially bench press, um, Fuck bench press only the people who administer those meats are uh, saints or the ultimate Satan. I don't know. Yeah, one yeah. Or the other, but a little bit of both. Yeah. yeah so um, I, I think the biggest con is definitely that it's going to end at some point. Like be it 10 years from now, five years from now or two years, at some point you're going to be in a position physically where you can't be a powerlifter anymore. And maybe you're one of the lucky few that gets to lift forever and be that 75 year old man hobbling onto the platform and squatting and deadlifting and stuff. Uh, But at some point it's going to end. And when you get to that point and all you have in life is powerlifting, I think you're going to have a really hard time. Mm. You want to say anything else? Um, yeah, I find I find it funny because I'll, like a lot of your story that you were saying then actually mirrors mine in that I got into powerlifting also after having quit rugby, but I didn't quit rugby and go straight into powerlifting. I had, I think it was about a year or nearly eighteen months of not doing footy, and that was after two two seasons that I'd only really done half a year of rugby because I'd had knee operations. And so by the time I started powerlifting, I'd really I'd gone through a big phase of being like, well, fuck, because I'm also a competitive person. Um, I was, you know, I was going, yeah, well, fuck, what do I do with myself? Like, you know, I like going to the gym and training, but I don't really have an identity as an athlete or anything anymore. Like, you know, the things that I used to define myself by aren't there. Like I'm studying uni at uni doing just a bit of nothing much for no reason. Like, you know, what do I have? And then I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go do one of these lifting competitions and very quickly found a home but then I also had a had an injury that took me out of powerlifting competition for a year literally to the day when I had my hamstring avulsion and missed what would have been my last international competition as a junior in three lift I went and did bench only that sucked but (laughs) um, but I also I had that little identity crisis then as well because the thing that 
I was defining myself by at the time, or at least part of it, I was lucky I had other things, but part of it was taken away too. And so I was hobbling around, you know, on my crutches or not at all thinking, how shit's this? I have to go bench press and I stink at it. And that's all, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I've got. Um, but, you know, I threw myself into other things almost to stave that off. And even then it did knock me about a lot. Yeah, you were very sad during that period. Oh, I was very, very sad during that period. Um, yeah, and, man. Yeah, and it, also lost the World Cup final in that period as well. So that knocked me about real bad. Got, got brunch very, very frequently. Yeah, God, it, was, it was so fucked up. <laughs> and, <laughs> go, and, go on, show. And see, that's the thing. JP, he's got a really good video about this uh, where he talks about, you know, like lifetime PBs and that sort of stuff. Uh, but it's this idea that like, you're just, you're not defined by your total. Uh, mm. and if you are, it probably to me at least suggests that you're a relatively one dimensional person. Um, the, and this is only something I've really come around to in the last few years. I, one of the distinct, uh, bits I, I remember doing over the last, maybe it was a year or so was when I took the, so I've got obviously like my Instagram handle and then I've got the gyms one. Uh, but I had, mine was Shero underscore belly strength. And I got rid of the belly strength and t- changed it to just Shero, which it is now. Because I realized that belly strength is a huge part of me and I'm a huge part of it. But the two are separate to a certain extent, you know? Like I, I have this life outside mm. of lifting and the very, very insular world that is powerlifting in Australia um i have you know like my long-term girlfriend it's fuck is that today i think it's our nine-year anniversary today but we made the date up so it doesn't count um uh you you made time on your nine-year anniversary to record a podcast with us and we were like 40 minutes late (laughs) that's probably our that's probably our biggest achievement yet yeah look i'm a committed kind of guy um yeah Yeah, one way or another (laughs) (laughs) exactly uh but yeah so i think it was the realization for me that there's more to life than just lifting weights um and that identity crisis like i continue to have that identity crisis It, it happens regularly but i think it's a sign of growth as a person to a certain extent because you realize that you can be a person who can still be successful in business and in powerlifting and things like that without being solely focused on it. And it makes the shitty days of training and the shitty comps you have much easier to handle. Like if you have a whole life that revolves around how good you are at powerlifting and then you go to a comp and you fucking suck, well, you're going to be depressed and you're going to hate yourself for a while. But if you're the sort of guy or girl uh, who can go to a comp, perform poorly and be like, well, it was a learning experience and here are the things I learned and here's what I'm going to focus on moving forward. Let's go have a beer. Then I think you're far more likely to end up in a position where you're going to do it for a long time because I think it smooths out the peaks and the troughs, right? Like the, the highs will be a little bit lower, but the lows will be a little bit higher and, and everything just is a little bit easier to do for a long time where the obsessive people who end up defining themselves entirely by the sport end up in a position where, yeah, essentially their mental health and well-being and happiness is directly correlated with their meat results. And, um, yeah, I, I have been there and I think it's a shitty way to live. So I think an analogy, um, an analogy that will probably offend a lot of powerlifters is that with like, <laughs> that's my that favorite with- kind of analogy. Yeah, well, perfect. Everybody strap yourselves in and get triggered. Um, 
the analogy is with bodybuilding and with um, body composition because the amount of people who are critical of bodybuilders and stuff for having a hobby that ends up dictating their entire life who, you know, make decisions about like not whatever it is, not going to a social event, you know, not enjoying holidays properly, you know, like skipping events on the weekend, whatever it happens to be like sort of taking time away from the rest of their life because something that they do entirely volitionally as a hobby might be optimized by them doing that. People criticize them for that all the time because it's, it's redefining hobby and it's actually making what you're doing to add to your life a vocation that detracts from the rest of it. And I think something I find very admirable about a lot of powerlifters or at least a lot of the ones that I really respect are that they're able to engage in powerlifting in whatever capacity they're doing. And then when it's time to not powerlift anymore, they go and, you know, have a career that's fulfilling, have relationships, you know, whatever it is, like play guitar, go surfing, do something actually fun and just not be a powerlifter when they're not engaging in their hobby and suddenly they're enjoying it as much as they can and they still have a life outside. And I think that's probably the ultimate aim of this whole discussion, isn't it? There's sort of reminding people that. Yeah. I like, I think it comes back to there's more to life than just lifting weights. Right. Um, mm. Like you said, I'm I, trying to find out what that is. Yeah. That's a Zoolander too, reference. Uh, <laughs> oh, remember I, there's more to life than being really good looking. Exactly. Um, yeah. I know how he feels. Um, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's the, the sort of roundabout way of coming back to what we we're talking about. Right. Is, is that the best lifters in the world, even the really obsessive ones, I think still have a life outside of this sport. You just don't get to see it as much. And I think that's, that's one of the problems with Instagram is even if you are a, a Dan Green or a Ray Williams or something like that, you're, you're a lifter who is world-class on a, an elite all-time sort of level and you can still be a normal person because it's like powerlifting is a sport that like I've said before, and I will continue to say no one really cares about like the number of people in powerlifting compared to any of the real sports uh, is substantially smaller. So to delude yourself, give yourself delusions of grandeur about how important you are as a powerlifter and how you're changing the world by lifting weights, um, I think is a, a really big ego trap that a lot of people fall into. Um, I think there's a lot of positives that come from lifting weights. I think, you know, I own a gym and one of the reasons I own a gym is because I think everyone can have a, uh, at least a, a better version of their own life through some form of strength training, whether that ends up being a competitive outlet like powerlifting or not, uh, is largely irrelevant. I like powerlifting because it gives people an objective goal, something to work towards an end date for their training, but it's not, for most people, it's never going to be that thing that becomes a, a vocation. It should just be a hobby. It should be something that has a positive impact upon your life. If you're the sort of person that is like, oh, I have to train today, I think you're doing it wrong. Um, I think the, the way to look at it is I get to train today. And when it becomes a, a job, when it becomes a, like, I have to do this today, which is where my powerlifting career got to. Like with five years of essentially back-to-back meat preps, I got to a point where I was like, I have to train today. And I don't want to. And for me, it's, it's taken me nearly, yeah, like nearly three years to find the love for training again because it got, mm. it got so, it became so much of a job that I lost the love for it. 
you know, and I still competed a little bit between sort of 2015 and now I set my, still my best raw total, uh, that day and left a bunch of kilos on the platform because I took a 32 kilo jump from my second and my third deadlift. Um, for the win? Uh, it was for the win against one of the guys that I coach who was substantially lighter than I am, but I uh, was wearing knee wraps. So we had a bottle of whiskey on the line and unfortunately I missed what would have been a worth 32 it. and a half kilo PB. Um, <laughs> worth it. Oh, hundred percent sure. worth it. Like I was never going to not take the jump. Um, Oh, man. It's the, it's the only the only option. Yeah, yeah, there's actually nothing in those 32 kilos that's worth lifting. So exactly. you have to go up that much. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, and that was the thing is like I I took 260 was my second deadlift, and that was like an equal PB or equal comp PB. I was like, well, I could probably hit 280, 285, but I should probably just go to 292 and try this. And um, yeah, 100. Yeah, percent It it came off the floor, I got mid shin, and then just I put it down. Uh, you are literally me. Except a bit fatter on my two ninety two this morning. <laughs> yeah, definitely more. Definitely hands. more hands. <laughs> You're kind of a lot of your anecdotes about yourself kind of sound a bit burnouty, right? Like this yeah. is something like you've stressed overly much about training. But what about um, for the people who are actually still powerlifting enthusiasts in how they approach training? Do you reckon the um, do you reckon the people who are just a little bit obsessive are more prone to practices that are maybe a little self-defeating in how they actually go to the gym? Yeah, I, I definitely think that's part of it. Um, I mean, when you become more obsessive, you're probably going to start looking more at the negatives than you are at the positives. Like, and that's when it becomes, I have to train, not I get to train. You know, uh, and I think that's where the self-defeating thing comes from, right? You you find it harder to look at a good train, like a, an average to good training day, as a good thing. Whereas, mm. like when you're obsessing about, it, it's like, oh, I didn't have a perfect training session, so it was shit. And the law of averages, and I'm blatantly stealing this anecdote from Matt Vincent again because um, he's my man crush. Uh, he talks about like the law of averages says you're going to have as many shit days and good days and like average days as you are great days. And so if, if all you ever look at is the, or all you ever hope for is the good days and you don't realize that the average and the shitty days are just part of the process. If you start obsessing about like, Oh fuck, I've had like a shitty week or a shitty month, you know, like in a, in a 15 year training career, a shitty month doesn't really matter. Um, and I think that's that's the biggest sort of pathway to destruction in that aspect is you get to a point where all you can focus on is the negatives and how you're not making progress and you're not getting any better and things don't feel good. And that's when you're going to just run into a wall. You're just going to stop making progress because it starts to be really shit <laughs> and no one's paying yeah, you. Those, those kind of shitty sessions or even like shitty sets lead into the next one, it kind of snowballs. Yeah, man. So if you have if you have that negative mindset, or you get very high and very low, one session can turn into one week, which can turn into one month, and then that's when it becomes actually a problem. Yeah. Whereas if you're able to recognize that it's just part of it's just part of the process, you can just tick the box and move on. Yeah. And that's I, when you that's when you're going to be fine. I think um, JP's definitely talked about this. I know um, CWS talks about it a lot. But uh, the idea of being process orientated, not outcome orientated. So mm. understanding that powerlifting is about turning up to training and being able to train and, and enjoying that process. Mm. Um, it shouldn't your success and failure shouldn't be defined by just that one number or that one 
end point because that end point doesn't really exist. Um, it's just a sort of ethereal concept in your brain. Uh, I think when you can be process orientated, it's much more likely to lead to, even with the people who are obsessive about it and who go all in, I think the process orientation is what's going to help you maintain that for a really long time. If you go all in and it's like, I'm chasing this number and fuck man, I did it with a thousand pounds. It was like, I want to squat 455. That's all I would care about. It's all I'm here to do. And when you don't do it, it feels really shitty. (laughs) Um, And five years ago, I would have told you that I'm going to get back in the suit at some point and squat a thousand. Um, Five years on, I'm far more mature and far more comfortable in my own identity and understanding that powerlifting is a part of that and it's not defined by whether I squatted a thousand or not. I think um, something else that comes to mind related to this is the people who are in such a rush to get good because they, they really do consider that the most important aspect of their life. They just do a little bit like they're always trying to do too much and they're not, they're not patient. And I think patience is one of the biggest virtues that powerlifters can have because no matter like, no matter who you are, you can only get so good so fast. And if you do the things that you have to do to the best of your intent or yeah, with the best intention, I guess, then eventually you'll get better, but you can't necessarily rush the process along. I've certainly had a few people that I've coached or that I've spoken to who have just always, you know, tried to dive in and do more, but in a way that's been self-sabotage, you know, they're always, they're throwing in extras or they're chasing multiple hairs because they're just not willing to actually sit back and just smell the roses and do what they're doing well and wait. Yeah. And that's, that's part of being a really good lifter, right? Is being a, a lift, a good lifter for a decade or a good lifter for two decades. Like uh, we had Ed Cohn at Burley a couple of years ago now um, and Liz Craven didn't get banned, which was great. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, we had him there and we did the maths between his first, powerlifting comp and his last one and it's like over the span of 20 years it worked out at like an average of 15 to 20 kilos per year for 20 years on his total it's like man if you add that up that's a fuckload of weight that you've gone from you know the 75s i think where he started to the 110s like that's a that's a proper career whereas all these people in in powerlifting these days talk about their powerlifting career man you've done four comps in two years like that's not a career and all you did was get a little bit better at it. It's about, can you do it for a decade? Cause I think that's, that's where that idea of mastery comes in. And the way to do that is to enjoy the process, to understand that the good days will be great. The bad days will suck. And you just got to be okay with that. And I, that's the, that, like, that's the bit I think people who obsess about the sport become stuck in is they their whole livelihood is riding on the highs and lows of training and competition um it's also the thing where i think this is where a lot of the bullshit fed bashing stuff comes in and is this is a nice little segue into that as a conversation uh the people that um as i said what i did there i'm a professional uh (laughs) the people that get caught up in these arguments on the internet because that's all they really are is arguments on the internet uh, tend to be the people whose identity revolves solely around powerlifting and suddenly every criticism or, uh, 
or you know positive comment about something becomes either a personal attack or a, or a personal compliment and it, it's really hard to separate yourself from something like that and not be so offended by it like yeah because in the end it's all just fucking lifting weights um mm. and you know i have plenty of friends that compete in federations that aren't gpc and i have plenty that compete in gpc and i've also got plenty of friends who don't fucking lift weights um and that's okay too uh and when you have an identity outside of the sport you compete in you're far less likely to take it all so personally you know and end up in these ongoing internet arguments about things that don't really fucking matter funny that you mentioned that you have friends outside of lifting weights at all yet you people in different federations can't seem to get along when they do the exact same thing just with slightly different rules yeah man it, like, like oh your, your squat bar is 25 kilos and ours is 20 fuck you yeah exactly and Legit, it's like what <laughs> yeah it, when you've squatted over 350 <laughs> and you can tell the difference in the bar flex come back and talk to me um uh-huh. But, I was going to say that I do not squat enough for it to matter. Yeah, exactly. Neither do I without a seat, <laughs> so it's fine. Um, yeah, I, look, uh, my my long-term girlfriend, all of my closest friends, uh, or most of my close friends have nothing to do with powerlifting. A few of them have come and seen me lift before because they were there to support me, but not the sport. Um, yeah. But like, I have healthy relationships with people who don't lift weights. We have plenty of other things in common and the bullshit fed bashing that comes up. It's like, man, you're, you're nitpicking over these tiny little things that really don't matter in a world where like we've actually, you know, like the three of us have probably got more in common than the average people because we both, we all lift weights and we've played footy and we've done things like that. I'm like, I don't hate you because of where you choose to lift weights. <laughs> like, uh, whose banner you choose to compete in front of? Well, that, make, that makes one of us. Hate is going to hate. Um, but that's, we're actually relying on Shero to send us this file, so yeah, we can't really this, offend him. This is never going to go up. Is yeah, it? we're nodding politely, but we're also like, yeah, fuck GPC. <laughs> Fortunately, as a lifetime fatty, I'm pretty hard to offend. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah that's water off a duck's fat they say yeah exactly um (laughs) that's man that's the thing like it's all it's all just lifting weights the arguments get a little too serious and a little too personal and like and this is what i say to all the athletes that i coach right like first and foremost i am a powerlifting coach or a strength coach i own a gym so i actually don't give a fuck where you compete uh if you want to compete great i will support you if you want to compete in PA or APU or GPC, like I I genuinely couldn't care less about where you choose to go. As long as you're happy and you want to pursue whatever it is you want to pursue, I will support you in in that as a coach because that's my job, right? Now, I run GPC meets. I compete in GPC myself. And there are several reasons for that. The biggest one was because I wanted to compete multiply and PA doesn't offer multiply. Um, So yeah, there's a bunch of reasons behind that, but I'm not judging you as a person based on your choice of powerlifting federation. I'm judging you on whether you're an asshole or not. And generally the people that get involved in these internet arguments are often assholes in person. Um, so it's always, the same. Definitely, it's always the same people. There's definitely a correlation there, whether it's causation or not, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I think the people that understand that this is just lifting weights and it's not, no one's living and dying by powerlifting. Uh, are the ones that I want to spend time with for sure. 
Definitely. Do you reckon um, to segue into another topic? I'm so glad we've had a professional show us how to do that. Do you reckon? Do you reckon powerlifters sort of <laughs> over? <laughs> I wish we could. Say, wish we could post the video of this. Shero's giving us hand signals and holding up cue cards to tell us how to do a podcast. <laughs> Obviously, Peak Speak is is the it's premier powerlifting podcast in Australia. Yeah. If you haven't listened to Peak Speak, please do. Um, in fact, so no, do you reckon right now and go and listen to it? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, if you've gotten this far, we have your download, so our metrics are good. You can piss off. Um, <laughs> um, so come back for the final five minutes where we ask our four questions um, to Shero. They're always fun. No, I was going to say, do you reckon powerlifters sort of overly fetishize um, the idea of obsessiveness and sort of like the outwork mentality and stuff? Because I think there's there's a meme that's almost become reality among powerlifters that like, you know, I'm a powerlifter, so this is my life now, you know. And then lol. You know what I mean? And uh, like I've watched people do that. Like they come and they, and I've had this conversation and I've like, I've watched people go through in the five years I've been like running a gym essentially. So I've owned it for three, run a gym for five years. I've watched people go through this whole cycle. Like I'm fortunate to have had a group of people who've been, uh, been sort of under my coaching or involved in my gym for several years now and i've watched them come in get really excited about powerlifting make heaps of progress really fucking love it start stressing about it a little bit when their progress slows down you know they have a bad bad time at work they miss training so they're stressed about that and then suddenly it down really spirals into like i'm not going to compete this year and the the ones that stick around come back around and they come back to okay I understand this is just training and I forgot why I like training and why I started training. So now I'm going to be, get back into this training thing and, and I'm going to you know enjoy it. And then they often come back around and want to do a powerlifting movement. But when they do it, they do it with so much more enjoyment because they get to that point and they realize that it's like, that's the fun part. Instead of spending 12 to 16 weeks, putting heaps and heaps of pressure on themselves and you know living and dying by their results and then getting to that point and having a shitty time and and yeah essentially falling away from the sport right we've lost I, I powerlifting as a sport especially in australia has lost so much talent by people who wore or from people who wore that outwork grind mentality as a badge of honor and that that's just part and parcel with being successful in powerlifting which i don't think is the case I think it's it looks cool on the internet because people think you're tough, but the thing is no one actually thinks you're tough because you lift weights. Um, and we can go into a whole thing about beast mode later. But um, the idea of being hard, like you're more hardcore than me because you choose to train longer or like in, in the end, who gives a fuck? You're just lifting yeah, weights. Yeah. And the idea that you're like, you're, I'm a little bit in on the joke, right? Like uh, I lift weights cause my life is so physically easy that I have to go somewhere and make up fake work to feel gratified. About <laughs> right? yeah. um, and that's what it comes down to is like, you're not hardcore. You're not tougher than me just cause you're doing more work. I admire people who put in the work. I, I realized relatively early in my athletic career that I was probably not going to be a professional athlete. Uh, I had dreams of playing for the Wallabies uh, after watching John Eels boot that 45-meter penalty. Um, <sighs> what a moment. Oh, yeah. dude. Like, it still gives me shivers. But I realized pretty early on I wasn't going to be a professional athlete. And 
and you know it took me some time to come to terms with because i was a sporting kid who wasn't very good at sports but really wanted to be good um so i i respect and admire people who put in more work than i do and get better results and do those sort of things but it doesn't make you a better person like if you're judging me based on the amount of work i do in training and that's your only you know judgment of my character then we're probably not going to be friends um and the other the other thing there is like if you look at the amount of work they might have put into three years of training and then they disappear in your career, you've actually done more than they have. And we've, we've spoken about this quite a bit on our podcast is we've seen so many kids come, come in the juniors. They have these massive goals themselves by the end of their junior years. They're really, really, really strong. And then they disappear because they either get hurt or whatever the case is and they're gone. And we never see them again. It's so common and that's why I like talking about this as a subject, this idea of identity and having something outside of the sport is because if you do really want to be good at it, then you really have to put in a lot of work over a long period of time. And the only way I've seen that done successfully is in a a slow burn, sustainable way. When all you do is put your foot to the floor for three years and just fucking run double Shaco sessions six times a week at some point something's going to break and then you're going to hate yourself because you're not going to have an identity outside of the sport if you want to be really really good at it for a really long time then you should put a lot of work in over a sustainable amount of time and enjoy the process because um yeah you're never going to earn money doing it so you may as well enjoy it so a final note before we hit you with our four questions um which i'm sure you're aware of um, I actually thought about I, like I I know of the four questions. I have no fucking concept what the questions are because I've completely forgotten them. But that's fine. I'm sure you can talk to me through. Perfect. It. You'll love it. Um, no. So I think the three of us are at least a little invested in increasing the size of the powerlifting community. Right. We all run businesses, coaching people, helping people get engaged in the sport. I think there's a real benefit to us and to people who are in the sport in having the sport looked at by people as like a hobby rather than a vocation um, because it invites participation. And I think it's really good that we have elite level power of thing and elite level power of things, what we all aspire to. Um, but, but I think it's also, yeah, I have a lot of people who say to me when I say, why don't you come to a power thing competition with us? They say, Oh, but you know, the people who do that are professional lifters or they think that you have to be just lifting obsessed and stuff and that they can't have a life away from powerlifting. If they want to do it. Yeah. And I think, I think there's something to be said for saying, hey, actually, you can literally turn up three days a week, train hard for an hour, and then every 12 weeks or 14 weeks or twice a year, turn up and just lift for fun and see what you can lift. And you can still be one of us and have fun with us. And that's really cool too. I think there's something cool about that. And it'll help us as a community a lot if we get more of those people. A hundred percent, man. Like that. So that's why we run novice meets that are unaffiliated. So they're just barely strength meets. Um, you can turn up in a t-shirt and shorts and lift weights. Um, I think powerlifting is already one of the most accessible sports in the world because the barrier for entry is really low. Uh, if you've ever stepped foot in a gym at some point in your life, you've probably done some variation of a squat, a bench press and a deadlift. And it's, it gives a lot of people something to pursue that is objective in a, as a goal, right? Like a hundred kilos is a hundred kilos, regardless of, what you look like in a mirror or what your boss said to you today. And so having Mm. something that is a hobby that you can pursue measurable success in or measurable progress in 
I think is a really positive thing. And the more people doing that, the better it is, you know, like I've got one of the women that I coach is in her, I think late fifties. She pulled a hundred kilos at our novice meet for the first time uh, a couple of weeks ago. And it was one of the coolest fucking powerlifting moments I've been a part of. And not because she's an elite level lifter or she's setting records, but because she's a working mum who has a full-time job in a really rough industry and she turns up three times a week and puts in the work and deals with all the, the issues like physical and issues that she's had to deal with and gets to a point where she can do that. And we've got this series of photos that the guy who was taking photos on the day took. And the moment after she's put the deadlift down where she's like standing up and celebrating that shit, like literally gives me goosebumps because I think that's the feeling that a lot of people who haven't done anything competitive in sport in a, in a lot of cases, a lifetime, miss that feeling. And I think mm. the more people that can be involved in powerlifting as a sport, the lower we can get that barrier for entry, the more people care about pursuing success and the bigger the audience grows, right? And then the elite talent pool gets bigger because more genetically gifted people come into the sport and so the whole sport grows. Um, but mm-hmm. I think yeah. you have to be able to, to open it up to people and realise that, yeah, you can you don't have to train six days a week for three hours a day. You can turn up for, like you said, three hours, once a week, three times a week, once an hour. Fuck, I don't know what I'm saying. Once an hour? Turn up once an hour. Yeah, once an hour. That's like the old greasing the groove technique. Yeah, exactly. Remember that when you did a pull-up, like five pull-ups an hour, and you do that, I don't know, through your waking hours, not 24 times a day. I don't think I've ever done five pull-ups in a row in my entire life. So, um, Well, you start with one, man, and you just do one an hour. One first. Um, right, <laughs> one jumping negative yeah. on a very sturdy door frame. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, you'll be there yeah, in no time. I, I think that's the trick. If we can spread the word, that is, powerlifting is a great thing for everyone to pursue, but you don't have to be a professional to do it. I think that's a really important message to take home. And I think the people who just assume that powerlifting is for the elite, quote unquote elite, are the people who've probably never been to a powerlifting competition. Like usually, when I get someone in. And I'm like, oh, yeah, when do you want to do your first comp? And they go, oh, I don't think I'm ready for that yet. And I, I always say, you know, have you ever been to a competition? Have you seen what it's like? And they're like, no. And it's, you know, anyone squatting up from 40 to 300. Like there is literally yeah. no, yeah, it's like, if can you do the bar? Yeah. You can compete. It's bar and collars, that's the minimum. It's this idea of strong enough, right? I'm not strong enough. Mm. What the fuck yeah. does that even mean? Yeah, um, the rules. As long as you can hit, like you know, perform a lift to the rules and yeah. use the bar and collars, let's exactly. go. Yeah, once you lift, you will never be strong enough to be satisfied. Which is, I guess, part of the problem why we suddenly have all these people being obsessed because they just think I could always be better. Yep. You know, and strong yeah, it's is all that sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, the people in my experience, I've now been running meets, and I would, without tooting my own horn too loudly, suggest that I've had a fairly substantial impact upon powerlifting as a sport in Canberra. Um, Mm. I've spoken to hundreds and hundreds of people about powerlifting and the ones that ask me what they need to do to be strong enough uh, or say like, I'll compete when I get to X amount on the bar, never turn up. Like they they will Mm. never compete and they disappear because then, then it's never good enough. You're never strong enough. You're never prepared enough. Just fucking turn up and do it and then Mm. go from there. 100%. Um, Let's take a very quick break and then we'll come back and hit you with our four questions that tell us everything we need to know about a person. Weekly Wags. 
much. You're hopeless. Welcome back to Weekly Weights. We're going to hit Shero with our four questions that tell us everything you need to know about a person. So question one, if you could take anyone out to dinner, dead or alive, who would it be? I... So I've answered this question because we do a, a variant of this question, but we specified dead, uh, not dead. You have to be alive. Um, honestly, I think classic uh, rip off podcast. Did you steal up? Yeah. Did you steal our idea or something? They did a Q and A the other day as well. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, we're Big basically just a subsidized weekly weights. Yeah, hundred um, percent. It's all right because one day he will be better than you, and then you'll be like, okay. yeah, no, you're already better. This is the four questions than... TM. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, nice. Even better is when you, you put TM after something, but you don't actually trademark it, which I've seen. No, you don't. It's a bluff. You yeah, got to I've, save the money that you I've, pay to patent something. Man, I've seen it done in the fitness space. Like, this is our trademarked method. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Let me just like search that trademark. I'll search the 15 different variations of it, and it's not a trademark. I think somebody actually bought the weeklyweights.com domain. Um, did you tell me no, that? The Instagram handle. Oh, yeah. Somebody's it, was definitely, it was definitely this guy. Yeah, he's done that. It just reroutes to peak <laughs> speak. Yeah, yeah 100%. Um, anyway, you can answer the question. So, sorry. Yeah, no, you're cool. Uh, yeah, look, I think um, one of the people that like, you know, there's so many people you could answer to something like this, but one of my first choices would be um, Anthony Bourdain. I think... Uh, for those of you that don't know, Anthony Bourdain is a now dead uh, celebrity chef. He was the sort of guy that uh, he not pioneered celebrity chefdom, but certainly was one of the people that broke into the mainstream world. Um, he has a book called fuck what's called kitchen confidential is uh, his first book. He did uh, like a show on uh, the fucking discovery channel called parts unknown so he's like a travel writer a celebrity chef um and he's a dude that's got some fucking killer stories man and the sort of guy that he you know obviously i never met him but in everything he ever did it was clear he fucking loved it and i think that's one of the things that i've come to appreciate more as i've matured as a person is passion and it doesn't really matter anymore for me at least what you're passionate about as long as you fucking really give a shit about something if you find a passion in life that you can pursue with unrelenting vigor then i think you're going to have a better life and he's someone that i think epitomized that yes yeah, definitely contagious that's actually the same answer as um hanny was it hanny who did mm -hmm. it because thomas didn't he do a celebrity chef yeah, or? he said he said heston blumenthal um, oh, okay. And he's for slightly different reasons because I know Thomas's answer to that question because I've spoken to him about it. Um, he had a he had a very nerdy four questions. Yeah, he did. He's a nerd. Like, uh, if you don't know that about Thomas, he's a fucking nerd. That was my first time meeting him. So yeah, yeah, cool. He's a nerd. Okay. He actually took me to lunch when I was in the Gold Coast, and I was very disappointed that it wasn't like Heston Blumenthal esque. Um, <laughs> but yeah. It was actually just kind of cheap sushi. It was still nice. The gesture was good, but I was expecting celebrity chef quality food. So I've, so. Actually, I've been to Heston Blumenthal's pub. So he's the fat duck in Bray in England, which is like, it's got an 18 month wait list and it'll cost you two mm -hmm. and a half grand for a meal for two. Uh, yeah. But then he owns a pub. Chunk change if you run peak speak. Exactly. Dude, we're raking <laughs> in around nine episodes. Um, 
but no, he, he owns a pub across the road as well. And um, yeah. I went there and it was one of the best steaks I've ever eaten. It was a fucking yeah. fine dining experience in the back of a pub. It was great. Nice. Very yeah. cool. Alex, fine. Question two. Who's your favorite athlete of all time? That's a hard one. It's certainly not a powerlifter. Um, uh, look, I think it's hard having grown up in the 90s and early 2000s as a rugby union fan to not say John Eels um, because I think he you know, was the best of the best at the time, uh, but he was also like a consummate professional. And I think that's... <laughs> that's the mark of a true athlete is like it's it's really easy to be genetically gifted and shit talk everyone and just tell everyone you're the best but it's even more impressive if you're incredibly genetically gifted you're a spectacular athlete and you don't fucking brag about it um so i think yeah john hills mostly because we talked about john hills earlier is probably my my answer on that front yeah just a really good dude yeah Yeah. great dude i think that's the that's the the thing in my head that makes a good athlete, uh, like a good person. Because some people are freak athletes, but they're assholes. Um, and I find that less impressive than I do someone who's perhaps a slightly less good athlete, but not an asshole. That's the difference between Australian rugby in the 90s and Australian rugby now, isn't it? Yeah, it's full of assholes. Everyone now is an asshole. Yeah, and they're no good. <laughs> yeah. Except for Pocock, he's a legend and fucking good. Yes, except he's made of fucking glass. Yeah, well, I mean, slight problem, but um, very stern glass. Yeah, bulletproof that, glass. That is the problem with Australian rugby: is it's full of egos um, and people who don't get told no. Yeah. Um, anyway, we'll move on from that very sad point. Um, we could talk <laughs> about the new high performance structure that RA oh. have implemented. I'm not happy with that. My, my dad has a great idea about this that I'll talk to you about after we finish answering these questions. Episode 37, How to Fix Australian Rugby. Oh, yeah. mate, we'd be here for hours. We can, hours keep, we can keep you on, Chero. We can keep you on for that one. Uh, I think my girlfriend might have something to say about that. <laughs> I'll get her on. She can give her two cents. That's so, a bad idea, boys. That's a bad idea for all of <laughs> All right. Question, question three um, is, which movie or TV character do you most resemble? Uh, I regularly get... Uh, made fun of for sounding a lot like Seth Rogen when I laugh. So, um, <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'd probably say Seth Rogen in super bad. I was going to say in super bad or in another one. Super bad's a good one. Super I like bad. pineapple express for you though. But yeah. Pineapple express. I can, uh, also relate to, I think, yeah. Someone who doesn't take life too seriously. <laughs> yeah. I like Seth Rogen. That's good. All right. Question four, your life's being made into a montage. What music is it set to? Look, I want to have some real funny answer for this, but I don't. I'm a massive fan of Tool um, and I would say Lateralis because uh, yeah. it's an eight and a half minute song. So it's going to be a pretty long fucking montage. Um, and it's probably one of my favorite songs. So I yeah, think, it's a uh, fucking ripper. It's In your... Horror. And a ripper. In your life montage, how many powerlifting highlights are there? Not many. Is <laughs> <laughs> that one time I squatted four ten, and that's probably about it. That's not true. I really yeah. wish someone got in on video the time that I was training and I passed out deadlifting. But um, other than that, probably not. 
Yeah, lateral arts is sick for the people who haven't listened to it. Very experimental. Yeah. Oh, Alex yeah, hasn't yeah. listened to it. Yeah, Time signature changes in the chorus. It goes like 10, 8, 9, 8. My sister loves to 4, 4 or something. Does she? Mm. Yeah, it's a great song. favourite band by a long fucking way. And I'm stinging for their new album to come out, um, which is allegedly coming sometime next year. But uh, I've already... They listened to Weekly Wait, so give them a shout I'm, out, Shara. I'm certain Maynard and the dudes all listen to a powerlifting podcast. <laughs> um, probably do. Uh, yeah, I've already... Uh, earmarked with my girlfriend that I'm going to spend an obscene amount of money seeing them as many times as I can when they come back to the country. So, uh, so yeah. you know, it's I heard this from somebody who plays music, so it's probably true. It's really fucked. Tool don't record to a click. Um, they play so everything they play, they play without a click track, so that it sort of feels organic. Mm. But their drummer, whose name is what's his Danny, name, Danny, Danny Carey. Carey. Yeah, yeah he's. Phenomenal. Oh, he's fucking unbelievable. Um, yeah. They play the most unbelievably like complicated stuff rhythmically and yeah, all without a click and just just on the vibe. Like they obviously compose it thinking about what they're going to do rhythmically. But yeah, like, so they, like my understanding, like, and I'm not a musician by any measure of that, but um, my understanding of the way they record as well is that Danny... Adam and Justin, so the drummer, the guitarist, and the bassist, they record everything. And when it's mm. finished, Maynard comes in and writes lyrics. Yeah, and right. Records over the top of that because he, like, they're all, I think, the true definition of artists, right? People who really give a shit about the art that they're producing. And mm. so it's like, it's been fucking 10 years since, they, 12 years since their last album. Um, and I think part of it's because they have this insane need for perfection which i'm okay with because it's fucking great music yeah and then they released their other stuff just the more accessible jams under their other band which is blink 182 yeah <laughs> exactly so how many people we can catch with that certainly verifiable fact yeah <laughs> all right so Sherry, thanks so much for joining us mate uh, your one last job is just to tell everybody who's listening where they can find you on the internet, where your gym is, you know, how do we get in touch? Yeah, sweet. So uh, you can find me on Instagram at just which is S H E double R O. You can add me on Facebook if you want. I might accept you. I might not. I'm not very good at accepting people. I don't know. Um, but Instagram is probably the best spot. Uh, you can find the gym on Facebook and Instagram, just at Burley Strength. Um, you'll find us on there. Uh, most of my sort of coaching knowledge and stuff goes through the Burley page rather than my own page. Uh, so if you want to get your learn on, that's probably the place to go. Um, yeah, that's that's probably the extent of it. Thanks heaps for coming on, man. Yeah, thank you so Bye, much. Boys. So uh, I'm Alex at Alex Hayes underscore lift. I'm Will at W.BerkmanPT. We'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah, peace out. Cheers.